the League of Women Voters of Dane County, and Madison City Channel present Know Your Candidates. Wisconsin State Assembly, District 48. Now, here's our moderator, Mona Steele. Welcome to Madison City Channel's Know Your Candidates interviews, co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I'm your moderator, Mona Steele, and I would like to introduce one of the candidates for Wisconsin Assembly District 48, Joe Parisi. To start with, Joe, you'll have th uh, three minutes to answer the following question. What is your professional, educational, and civic background that qualifies you for the State Assembly, and why are you running? Well, thank you for the question, and thank you for doing this, Mona. I appreciate all the time that you've put into these forums um, right now and in the past and all the effort that the League of Women Voters and City Cable 12 um, have provided on behalf of our citizens to give people a better idea uh, about the people who are running for office. It, it's very much appreciated. Uh, the reason I'm running for re-election to the State Assembly is fairly straightforward. Uh, it's the same reason I got into public service in the first place. I, I want to make a difference in people's lives. And while there are obviously many different ways that we can and do make differences in other people's lives, be it on a personal level or a, as part of an organization um, or in, in, you know, in our daily lives at home or at work. For me, public service has provided a vehicle that, that seems to fit. Um, I like public service. I actually love being in the legislature. There are obviously challenges to the job. It's, 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 it doesn't always go smoothly. You, you have a lot of people with different ideas who have to come together. And, and work out our problems. That can be a challenge. But it's also a challenge that, that I personally enjoy. It's, it's like playing a good game of chess, but the stakes are very high. The stakes are the future of our citizens and our state. Uh, my background, as, as you may know, is that uh, since for the last five and a half years, I've served in the State Assembly. Before serving in the State Assembly, I served as the Dane County Clerk uh, in Dane County for eight years. And in that capacity, it was mostly an administrative job. I was responsible for coordinating the elections um, among all the municipalities in our state, among other um, administrative duties. So I have been in the minority in the state assembly. I've been in the majority in the state assembly. Uh, we, we, the Democrats recently gained the majority last time. And uh, I like the majority better. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, when you're in the majority, you can, you can get a lot of things done. Um, conversely, it's, it, it can be more challenging because the buck stops with you. You've got to solve the problems. You can't just be the loyal opposition party saying no to everything. And as you know, the last couple of years have been extremely challenging. Uh, we've been literally facing a worldwide economic recession. Um, we have been on the brink of depression. And so for the past two years, we've been having to work to move through that, to move past that, and, and confront the challenges we've faced. And what I've found is with those challenges come opportunities. And I think some of those opportunities that, that we have right now to grow in Wisconsin in many different ways are some of the things that perhaps we can talk a little bit about today. But again, I'd like to thank you for allowing me to be here today. I would like to thank my constituents for allowing me to serve them. It's, it's a great honor and I look forward to having a conversation and I hope I'll be coming back again next year. Okay, thanks. Um, what do you believe is the most urgent issue in your particular district and how would you address it or go about 
taking care of it. There are two issues that, that kind of form one, in my opinion, and I think, I think this applies not only to my district, but to the entire state of Wisconsin, and, and in a greater sense, to the rest of our nation. Um, and, and it boils down to the question of how are we going to move forward in this economy? Um, we've been through an extremely difficult time in our economy, and we've seen kind of the old, the old paradigm kind of crumble, and we have to figure out how to come out, how to move forward. We need to create a solid, stable economic base, and one that's sustainable, not only economically, but environmentally. And as with any challenge, as I mentioned before, I think this challenge presents us with great opportunities. And my number one priority when we get back into the legislature is to pass legislation called the Clean Energy Jobs Act. This was legislation that was put together during the last session by an almost two-year process um, under which many different stakeholders came together from the environmental community, the utilities, um, business, um, to look at the way that we produce electricity in Wisconsin and say there's got to be a better way. Right now, we send about $16 billion annually, $16 billion annually out of Wisconsin to buy fossil fuels. We don't have coal, we don't have oil, we don't have gas. Everything we use to generate electricity in Wisconsin, we buy from somewhere else. Not only is that not good for our economy, it's not good for our environment because we're using the dirtiest fuels possible to generate the electricity that we use to power our gadgets, power our televisions, and turn on the lights. We're using coal. I think that's not the right direction to take. The Clean Energy Jobs Act would mandate that a specific amount of our energy be generated from renewable sources of energy, such as solar, wind, etc. Biomass, um, as you, in Dane County, we saw, we saw a local version lately of the manure digester, which is taking waste that could have run into our lakes and streams and turning it into fuel that can generate electricity. Um, we're seeing more and more wind site development and the potential for it. There's a huge potential for solar power to be used. We're not tapping into that yet. So if we can pass this, the Clean Energy Jobs Act and require that a specific amount of our power be generated in that manner, according to a nonpartisan analysis of this proposal, we would immediately create 15,000 jobs. 15,000 new clean energy jobs. Um, right now, we have, we have companies um, in Manitowoc who build the towers for wind, for wind generation. We just saw last week that in Cuba City, a company added 200 manufacturing jobs. 200 manufacturing jobs were added, and this is a company that, that makes uh, the composite blades for our wind power. Right there, those are two, two examples of jobs that are created that are directly related to the new clean energy economy that we can move forward in. Um, when you look at solar power, we have people, if you look at this, it, what's a fascinating example is, is uh, Germany. They started something there called renewable energy tariffs under which um, people who install solar power or local renewable energy on their homes or their farms get paid enough extra for the electricity they generate so that it makes it worthwhile to buy it. Right now we have some programs here, but it can take 20 or 30 years for the payback, and that gets tough. If you can shorten that payback to, say, 10 years, it makes it a lot more viable for you or me or our neighbors to invest in local solar power. So what we saw happen in Germany, we can see happen here. And what happened there was, once that payback was in place, more and more people started putting solar on their homes. More and more solar businesses 
came into being and expanded. More electricians put to work, more folks installing and maintaining, and that's where you get the jobs. And there's a transition point where you need a little help with the transition. You need to get, let people get a little stronger payback. But once you get going, then we have all, all of a sudden we have created a diversified clean energy economy which is keeping our air and our water cleaner. It's keeping us more secure because we're not dependent on outside sources. And it's keeping you know, literally millions to billions of dollars in Wisconsin's economy that would have gone out of the economy. So my priority is jobs, clean energy jobs, and protecting the environment. And again, the beautiful thing is that you can accomplish all of those in one. Um, so. You know, we could, as I stated in the beginning, we can look at our challenges and say, wow, this, this is overwhelming. There's nothing we can do about it. We just, but we'll keep building coal-fired power plants and do things the old way because we're afraid to move forward. Or we can embrace and get in front of the new clean energy economy and we can become leaders. We can protect our environment and create jobs and help keep money in Wisconsin. Thanks much. Um, if you were elected, you were coming into a legislature during a continuing economic downturn and a significant gap between revenues and spending. What do you believe are the most important priorities the legislature should address in the budget? We have to look at some of our core programs that protect the most vulnerable among us, and they have to be protected. Um, education. We've got to protect our kids' schools. We've got to protect um, our school's ability to teach and to deliver the quality education that they have been able to continue to, live, to deliver even through these challenging times. Um, you know, they, our schools definitely need more resources. Um, but when we've hit budgets where we haven't been able to give them more resources, like the last one, and in fact, it pained all of us to have to cut everywhere, including a couple of percentage points off of our education budget because of the dire shape we were in, we can't keep doing that. We have to protect our public schools. And we have to protect, beyond that, our colleges. We have to make it affordable for, for young people to go to college. Um, one of the bills that I've introduced a couple of times in the past would require that whenever tuition is raised at our universities, um, that dollar for dollar, the amount of financial aid would increase with that tuition. What that would do is it would allow the universities the flexibility if they, if, they're, if they need the money to increase tuition a little bit because we also have to preserve the quality of those institutions. But because the, the financial aid would increase dollar for dollar, it would act as a rate freeze for those in need. We've got to protect the university and we've got to protect the young people and their families who are going to the universities so it doesn't just become an institution for the elite. Um, we have to protect, again, the, the vulnerable. We have to, you know, med medic Medicaid is one of the places that, 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 that there's, a, you know, a lot of money that the, the prices are going up and up and up. A lot of that is, is used to protect the vulnerable, the uninsured, uninsured children. So we have a lot of challenges. There are a lot of core issues that, that, that need to remain funded. So then that begs the question, you know, where do we find the money to, to fund this? Um, we've gone through a lot of austerities over the last couple of years. Um, in the 14 years before the Democrats came in, into control in the state assembly, um, GPR, spending, GPR spending went up um, you know, almost 70%. So it was over 70%. 
And when we got into to power last time, we actually cut it by 3% for the first time in 14 years. And those were painful cuts. Um, I know that you know myself and most of my colleagues, um, we, even on our level, we froze our salaries for four years and we gave back um, 16 uh, days worth of furlough days, about 3% of our salaries, just to do our small part. It did, didn't make a huge difference in the overall budget, but just symbolic, we thought it was important to do that. Um, what we have to do, though, in order to get through this, we have to, I already covered part of the JOBS Act, we have to make our economy and our, and our community is a place where businesses and the type of businesses we want can, can thrive and grow. Um, when we look at stem cell research and we look at, the, at biotech, we look at how that can, you know, Wisconsin has a great foot in the door in that, in that area. We've said to industries, um, you know, we want to work in this area. We have the University of Wisconsin that has so many resources in that area. We can't let politics come in and decide our science for us. There are people, again, coming in and speaking out against, against stem cell research and saying we shouldn't be doing that and we shouldn't be involved in that. I disagree. I think we need to let science talk and put politics aside. Stem cell research and other biotech um, industries are a very important part of how Wisconsin will grow in the new economy. Thank you very much. If elected once again, <laughs> um, you will be coming into a legislature with a large number of new legislators. Mm -hmm. However, confidence in the legislature's ability to accomplish anything of significance to help the state appears to be very low. What do you believe are the most important steps the legislature sh you sh should take to regain public trust? I think a couple of things. First of all, during campaigns, it's very tempting for myself and everyone who's running to tell folks that we have all of the answers to all of their problems. We see people in campaigns running and, and they say, everything's going to be okay. Help's on the way. Just, just elect me and I will cut your taxes, increase your services, clean up the environment and, you know, increase, you know, our energy supply. It just everything all at once with, without, any, without any backlash. And so expectations are built up. And when those expectations, as they, as they never can and never do, aren't fulfilled, I think people say, oh, there's just another politician promising everything. I think what's important, I think it's a two-way street. I think for folks in my position who are running for office, we need to be honest. We need to come out and promote what we want, um, give talk facts, talk about, talk about what we think will work, just for example, as I did with clean energy. Um, but I think it's also important for us to admit that we don't have all the answers. We don't know. No one's ever been through an economy like this before. We, we, we all have ideas of what we think will work, um, but, but no one knows. Um, you know, and that's not always the, the most popular thing to say on the campaign trail. I think folks in my position need to say, I promise you that I will do my best, that I will make the decisions that after looking at all the facts appear to me to be the right decisions to move us forward. And I think conversely, that when people are voting, people who aren't running for election and looking at candidates, um, two things. Uh, be skeptical of people who tell you that they're going to make everything okay and that they have a simple answer and there will be no pain and that everything will be all right if you just elect them. I've heard a lot of candidates say that over the years, but I've never seen that happen once someone's been elected. And at the same time, um, realize that 
while, while the legislature and government as a whole is, is part of the solution and part of the answer, it's not just about us up here. It's about our entire community. We, we, we can't do this alone. Um, this problem, this worldwide economic downturn wasn't caused simply by people in government. It can't be fixed simply by people in government. We have a role to play. We need to work with the community. We have to work with, with, with businesses, with nonprofits, and with concerned citizens about what our issues are and what our problems are and how we think we need to go forward. But it's going to take everyone. People can't expect government to fix everything. Um, I think what happens a lot of times is people are understandably upset about the situation in which we find ourselves. I'm upset about the situation in which we find ourselves. Um, and they need someone to take it out on. And I think you're seeing that happening to a certain extent now, especially with, you know, for example, the Tea Party movement. Mm -hmm. They're mad and they're looking for someone to be angry at. You know, I'm upset that we went to Iraq and went to war for years and spent a trillion dollars there. I'm, I'm upset that um, some of the things that happened on Wall Street happened. Um, but we, we, we need to move past that now and say, okay, what are we going to do about it? I may not agree with what happened there. I may not have had anything to do with what happened over there, but how are we going to come together to work out these problems? And how are we going to do this without you know, tearing our country apart? Because I think there's one political strategy over here that feels it can get ahead by tearing people apart. You know, I look at my kids. We were talking about my kids earlier. I have a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old. And I look at the kind of world I want for them. I don't want this world where everyone's tearing at each other's throats, yelling and screaming and blaming each other for everything that's wrong. I want a world where people are going to come together and work together to solve problems so that my girls have the same opportunities at life that I was fortunate enough to be given by my parents. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to talk about things that will affect your girls. <laughs> the financing of public schools has cut deeply into school budgets to the point where many districts are exp experiencing significant cuts that are affecting the students. Are there measures the legislature can enact that you believe will assist the districts? Yeah. I, the, this is such a big question. There, there are short-term and there's long-term. Um, you know, we were bailed out once again by some short-term stimulus money um, because right now we're we're in that edge of recession state where we're just kind of playing survival. We're playing survival. Um, we have to look at everything in government and how we fund it. Um, let me give you an example. I serve as the chair of the Corrections Committee. And in Wisconsin, we spend $1.2 billion annually, $1.2 billion on corrections. We incarcerate about 22,000 people in our state prisons. Right next door, in Minnesota, a state that's very similar to ours demographically, number of students, it's, or number of residents, it's in the Midwest, has a slightly higher um, income level than we do, but um, very similar demographic, demographically. They spend about 480, 482 million annually on corrections, and they incarcerate about 12,000. So they incarcerate about half the number of people we do. They spend less than half the amount we do on corrections, and Wisconsin's violent crime rate is higher than theirs. Um, Minnesota figured out a long time ago that you don't base corrections policy on what just happens to sound tough. You base it on what works. And because they did that, they have 
about a billion dollars every two years that they can use for schools, for tax relief, et cetera, that Wisconsin doesn't have. We have to look at our priorities when we're looking at funding. There's only so much money. There's only so much potential revenue. And in Wisconsin, we need to take the rhetoric out of criminal justice policy because now it's been driven by not only what sounds tough, but by people being afraid of not sounding tough on crime. There's a movement toward evidence-based policy. Evidence-based means what the research has shown to work and what the research has shown to not work. Um, what the research has shown to work is that, you know, for certain dangerous people, you bet you need to be locked up. But for a lot of people, especially nonviolent offenders, nonviolent drug offenders, um, female offenders, people with mental illnesses, um, people who have been victims of sensitive crimes, um, all of which can set people on a path if they're not, if, if they're, if they're not offered the, the proper treatment to offending, that if you deal with those people with treatment, with training and support in the community, if they want to turn their lives around, they can and they do. So what you end up with is a lot less money being spent on corrections, a lot fewer people in the correction system, and then those people are out working and paying taxes. So you're not only saving money here, you're creating people who become tax generators, so there's more income coming in. So while I'm certainly not saying that you know, corrections reform is the single answer to finding money for education, um, but what I'm saying is it's a prime example of the type of approaches we need to take to programming in the state to, to decide where we want our money to go and how we want it spent. Um, in criminal justice, public safety is number one, but I'm convinced we can have more public safety and a safer public by spending half as much as we do on corrections and spending it the right way. Okay, um, the next question is on transportation issues, uh, such as regional transportation authorities, high-speed rail, infrastructure and construction and maintenance. There's significant issues right now to citizens. Um, what do you believe are the most important areas for the legislature's agenda in transportation? I think a balanced transportation policy is what's important. Um, I mean, we obviously need streets and highways. We need a strong infrastructure. Our, our roads, our highways need to be safe. Um, and they need to be funded adequately so that we can keep them up. At the same time, we cannot rely simply on highways for everything. We need rail, um, we need freight rail. Um, if you look at the number of semis that can be replaced by each rail car, um, the number of semis that are taken off the street, off the highways, as far as safety and cost and um, effects on the environment, freight rail is, 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 is a much more environmentally and economically friendly means of transportation. Um, passenger rail, we need a, I support passenger rail. I support the Chicago to Milwaukee to Madison to Minneapolis high-speed rail. If you look at uh, any, any developed nation worth its stuff, when you look at Europe, the, 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 the options people have um, for transit. Um, you, look at, um, you, you look at other countries, um, most of them are way ahead of us when it comes to a diversified transportation um, system. So, you know, whether or not in, in, in Madison, whether or not um, up, an upgrade of our bus system or a commuter rail system is the best, 
Again, I come back to let's look at it from an evidence-based approach. I support whatever's going to work best because I think we need strong mass transit alternatives. We need a strong bicycling alternative. We need to make sure that we have safe areas and, and, that, and that are accessible for our bikers. And we need, again, you know, at, at the base, a solid, a solid road system. Um, to focus on any one system to the detriment of others, I don't think helps us. I think we need a holistic approach that gives us multiple, multiple, multiple modes of transportation. Thanks. Uh, this has been a really interesting discussion, but unfortunately we're out of time. So you have a minute for a closing statement. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, we've covered a lot today. Uh, as you can see, we, we do face a lot of challenges. That's one of the things I love about this job. Uh, there's, you know, you don't go to work and just work on one thing all day. Um, and then come back and work on the same thing the next day. Yeah, you know, for better or worse, there are multiple balls that you're juggling when you're in the legislature, you know, from public safety to education to transportation, uh, et cetera. I, I, I feel honored to have this job. I, I will tell you that almost every day when I go down the street in my district, I look around and my reaction is, I, I am so fortunate to be able to represent this district in, in the state assembly. I, I hope I get the chance to go back um, if anyone um, wants to talk to me further, they can uh, give me a call at home. They can send me an email. Can I give my email address here? Is that okay? The, it's uh, Parisi yes. for Assembly. The four is the number number four. Parisi for Assembly at gmail.com. Um, or call me at home, 2420575. I'm happy to chat with people. And thank you again for doing this today. I, I really appreciate being able to sit down and talk about these issues. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but it, we do thank you for coming uh, and joining us. And I'd also like to thank the viewers, viewers and remind everyone that Election Day is Tuesday, November 2nd. Please do vote. If you would like more information about voting procedures or about obtaining a copy of the League's Voter Guide Candidates Answers, call the League office at 232-9447. Again, I'm Mona Steele on behalf of Madison City Channel and the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I thank you for joining us.